Hi, it's Jennifer Diane Ghostin, and welcome to Once Upon a Time in Adoptee Land. A part of my identity is being an adoptee, being separated at birth from my original family and placed into foster care for two years before being adopted has significantly impacted how I see my place in the world. After connecting with the adoption community over a decade ago, I recognized the added value adoptees bring to a conversation about adoption. You may have wondered what reunion looks like from an adoptee's point of view, or be embarking upon taking that journey yourself to search for your first family, or simply want confirmation that you are not alone in your experience wherever you are on the path of healing and pushing through a trauma. Wouldn't it be empowering to have many of your burning questions answered here? My next guest is the author of five books, three about adoption, search, and reunion, and over 80 films, 55 of which are focused on the need for adoptee access to records. These works are all streamed online for free, including two features which aired on PBS. Her name is Jean Strauss. She has worn a lot of hats, born in California, now living in Massachusetts, with a lot of moves in between. Jean was reunited with her birth family in 1988, a life-changing experience which she continues to learn from today. 33 years later. I met Jean in 2011 when I had the opportunity to enjoy one of her workshops at an adoption conference in Orlando, Florida. Fast forward, I would be featured in one of her films, A Simple Piece of Paper, about Illinois changing their adoption law, granting adoptees access to our original birth certificate. She entered my personal life with cameras and recorders to document my experience before, during, and after receiving knowledge of my first official record of birth. Jean is a person who definitely pays it forward by sharing her creative work, knowledge, and expertise. Allow me to introduce you to Jean and someone who has always made me feel comfortable on and off camera. If I ever knew someone who won't fumble your story, it is her. Hi, Jane. Hi, Jennifer. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm so glad you agreed to have this conversation with me. Well, it's great to reconnect with you again in this way. And I've been so impressed with everything that you've chosen to do. An opportunity to connect through the film, A Simple Piece of Paper, uh, where you're one of the stars of the show. I mean, you really uh, told such an amazing story there. And to me, your life is one of the most interesting ones I've ever encountered. So it was a thrill to hear back from you. And it's an honor to be on your show. Thank you. And I have so much I want to cover with you. Where I think I want to start is two of your books, two of your five books. I had the opportunity to read when I first was joining the community. And Birthright... The Guide to Search and Reunion for Adoptees, Birth Parents, and Adoptive Parents was so powerful. And then Beneath a Tall Tree. And I've been recommending those books through the years. So let's start there. You as a writer and a published author. Well, I think, first off, I'm going to plug the fact that when Penguin published Birthright, 
they were the first major house to publish a book on search and reunion in the United States. And so it was a real privilege to have the opportunity to have a book that had a major house behind it. And I went with Penguin versus a couple of other publishers because my agent told me that they were evergreen. They sought titles that they called evergreen, which meant that they would be willing to keep it in print for a long period of time. And that book has been in print from Penguin for 25 years. And I've now taken the the publishing copyright back from them. And we'll be putting out an uh, audio version of the book and a revised version of the book that includes just a few updates. You know, the book was written before there was an internet. <laughs> so Yeah, that's something. That are, are really outdated. <laughs> but thank you. And uh, it's tit for tat. Your book is fabulous and something that anybody that's thinking about searching, I think the more you can read about other people's experiences, the better prepared you are by the value of their insights. Believe it or not, I still use Birthright now, the last chapter of it. I find useful because of the questions that are asked and the questions that I need to ask, too, Mm. uh, within my own reunion, even now. So, Right. Well, let's get to a part of your story, because you have been in reunion for 30 years, right? I've been in reunion since 1988. Wow. uh, Over 30 years, 33 years. I think... One of the things that's really sad to me is, um, you know, I think it surprised a lot of people because my birth mom was wonderful. She was very welcoming, and so were all seven of her children. I mean, all of us were grown, uh, and I was 33 when I found her. And I remember just being confused by emotions that I felt. I just lost my adoptive mom. I felt anger a lot of the time at my birth mother even though she was trying very hard, but she really wanted her baby back. And so we, we both were newbies at this and learned a lot from each other. And there was a really wise woman who's still in the movement, Sharon Rosacea Kaplan, Erosia Kaplan, who advised me, she said, Jean, you know, it's been my experience watching people go through reunion, that it takes for however long you were apart, plus one year, to really come together and be comfortable. Well, I was 33 when I found her. And I'll be 67, uh, 33 plus one next April. But my birth mother died last July from COVID. And it's really sad to me that we we were looking forward to celebrating that uh, 33 plus one. Mm. (laughs) But we we pretty much achieved it. Uh, You know, it really found common ground and very much grew together in the reunion. And, uh, you know, I just feel like I learned so much from her. And so much from her own birth mother when she found her, the three of us together. That tribe was quite meaningful to me, remains meaningful to me to this day, the triumvirate. So, yes. Well, first of all, I'm sorry for your loss. And I do remember that part of your story. And so, when you were searching, that was in eight. Did you find her right away? Was that in 88 when you started searching? I started searching in 1983. And remember back then there was no internet. Right. Everything was done by hand and by snail mail and by, you know, searching through libraries for book, you know, phone books, going to specific areas where you thought people were from. And like most people today, you know, that was, I went hot and cold, you know, put a lot of time in and then you get burned a little bit and you step back from it. Actually, I think you can step back from it even if you're not burned from it. it it's surprisingly emotionally draining. 
to decide that you're gonna you're gonna search. And so I really tell people, counsel people, be patient. The most important thing to do is take care of yourself when you're doing this, uh, and and realize that no matter what you find, it's not gonna fix everything that right. you are. It will fix. It will provide even if you don't find. To me, the very act of searching is an extraordinarily empowering thing. It means that you value yourself. It means that you believe you have a right to know this. It, you know, it does not mean that you don't value your adoptive parents. In some ways, to me, it means that you do, in that you're you're honoring their gift of wisdom and compassion and family. And so you need to find that family of origin, that first family. Uh, you know, we could talk about what search and reunion mean for for the next 10 hours and not cover everything. Right. Um, yeah, I agree a- with you. It, it, it is uh, the search itself has a potential for healing. And uh, it is a journey that I remember when I was taking it, coming into the adoption community was huge and the people that I would meet and those relationships, like even today, because I believe I met you in 2011 in Orlando. Wow. And yeah. And I just was impacted by the work you have done as a filmmaker. You want to talk about that? <laughs> the thing that was a shock to me about film was I got into filmmaking in 2004. I took a five-week class. Uh, which is why my work is not at the same level as like Ridge House and Derek. <laughs> but I took a class because the publishing industry flatlined after 9-11. And uh, I had done Beneath a Tall Tree, and I was looking for just something different to do. I did not go into filmmaking, actually, to make adoption films. I went into it. My youngest son was a, a great cameraman, just intuitively knew how to work with a camera, and I was kind of fascinated by it. So it was not my intention to make the very first film that I made, which was called The Triumvirate, which was about meeting my birth mother and meeting my birth mother's birth mother and what the three of us learned together. And that film happened by accident. It replaced the documentary film I was going to make for my final project. Over the course of a weekend, I had to come up with a film and I made The Triumvirate in uh, four days. Mm. And that that film changed my life. It uh, was accepted by the Palm Springs International Festival of Short Films, which I had knew nothing about. The, you know, I didn't know it was the Sundance of Shorts. And it took me to other festivals and other broad experiences. But then in 2005, Pam Hesegawa, who was working to open records in New Jersey, asked me if I would come and make a PSA for them, a public service announcement. So I flew to New Jersey and I began filming people. And that PSA ended up being about an hour and 30 minutes long. Um, And then I began making a lot of shorts. So to the point where now I have 55 films that deal with some of them very short, you know, 30 seconds. And some of them feature length uh, that have been on PBS that allowed me to really immerse myself as an advocate. And what I found in filmmaking that really stunned me was... In that very first film festival in Palm Springs, uh, it, it was a real rush sitting there. They introduced the film. There were seven little shorts in, in our uh, segment. And when my film started showing, there was kind of a hush in the audience. And then this woman tapped me from behind as the film was rolling. And she said, can you hear what's happening back here? 
And I turned around and she said, my husband's sobbing. We've been married for 40 years and I've never seen him cry. Mm. In a matter of 10 minutes, I made this guy get it. I made him understand what it meant to be disconnected and then to have an opportunity to connect. And I think it was that realization, because I was a writer. What I realized there was the power of film to help people see it in people's eyes. So that when I shot you in Illinois and when I shot Tracy and when I shot Bill and when I shot 16 people, some of them longer segments and some of them very short, but you can see it in their eyes. What happens when they're finally treated with the respect that they're due from the society they live in? Mm. And, um, and so I'll make films for the rest of my life. I was actually just down in Connecticut uh, on July 1st filming uh, their first, their opening day. Um, and keep hoping we'll get to do it here in Massachusetts. I've uh, been so excited and elated by the change. It's slower than we all want. But at the same time, I know that these films that I've made and, and stuff that other people have made have actually changed legislation. Yes. I know two governors, in fact, cited the films I've made as the reason they ultimately, one of the reasons, let me not take total credit, <laughs> but one of the reasons why they ended up supporting bills. And one was Governor Quinn in Illinois, and one was uh, Governor Christie. Yeah, in New Jersey, yes. which I didn't hear until years later. That that is really worth people knowing. So I'm so glad you shared that because um, people may wonder, you know, well, what, what, how do we know it's impacting these other states? And there it is. Let's just take a well, a couple of minutes. Probably need a, more than a couple to talk about your film, A Simple Piece of Paper. That was wonderfully done. Well, it was a very different film than the first feature I did was Adopted for the Life of Me. And in that film, we really kind of talk about what adoption's like. And um, a simple piece of paper was a complicated film to make because it has 16 people, which is a lot of people to, you know, to hold a story with six people sort of as the highlights in it. But when Illinois opened their records, a complication in it was that they didn't have an opening day. <laughs> they had a day that you could come in and apply for your record, but you weren't going to get your record on that day. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so what the state of Illinois and what uh, state representative Sarah Feigenholz enabled me to do was they sent me the records directly and, or they sent them to Sarah, I guess. And Sarah gave them to me and then I delivered them to the adoptees so I could be with them. Mm-hmm. And I followed you, as you know, I came and filmed you before, because I think it's really important to understand if we're going to learn what getting the record does for people, we need to see what it's like for them when they don't have it. Right. And then we need to follow them for a little bit after they get it. I, I think the one thing that struck me when I was filming in Illinois was the elation that people feel when they finally get it. There's a sense of this is it. This little piece of paper was kept from me. Why? Yeah. What is on it that is so bad right that is that was kept from me and i think that i've seen that across the board just a confusion and sort of an undercurrent of anger and frustration that there was so much effort required for people to get their birth certificate and let's face it i mean it's 
it's a powerful moment to watch. I think adoptees have a lot to teach the entire community of humanity about what family means, about what connections mean. But I really view the work I've done not about adoption. It's about secrets. Mm. And it's about secrecy hurts people and disempowers people. You know, adoption, the way it was set up, with sealed records was all about controlling people's lives, taking information out of the very hands of the people who needed it the most. And it's dehumanizing, not just to the adoptees, but definitely to the the first moms and often many first dads and the adopting parents. It's cruel. And I really feel my ability to have you guys let me film you is what was huge. Yes, I am the filmmaker, but you people are the ones that had the courage let me stick a camera very close to your face and film what was happening for you. And in the 35 years I've been involved in this as an adoptee, as an advocate, as a documentarian, as a writer, as a filmmaker, I've witnessed the results of all these people that have fought to get these records. Because we all stand on the shoulders of giants. Annette Barron, Ken Watson, a couple people that weren't even part of the adoption, adoption constellation a term that was coined by Michael Graham from Canada, by the way. These people that were involved in writing wrong, Jean Payton, Florence Fisher, birth mothers like Lorraine Dusky. Imagine how courageous those people were compared to just us, the ones that, you know, have done stuff recently. They were doing it at a time when they were vilified. You know, people actively, viciously worked against them. And and I think a lot of people in New Jersey and Ohio and elsewhere, uh, Illinois, could tell you the same thing happened there. And sometimes we're even shot at by our own tribal members because there's so much damage that's happened to everybody. Mm -hmm. Um, Feels so personal. So if I'm making a movie, it could never be the movie that someone else who's just been devastated by this stuff that's happened in their life. I'm not telling it the way they might want to tell it. And so there's, or the law that's being passed is not passed in the way that they want to see it passed. Because they're not able to see what it's like to be shot down for 14 years or 24 years or 34 years because they haven't lived that. The, the pressures on the people who've changed the laws have been enormous. And I am, I am so admiring of them and admiring of you and all the others who've let myself and others share the stories that were necessary for us to get this stuff done. Well, we thank you, Jane, and I've had conversations with some of the people in the film, like Maura and Linda. And we we trusted you. It was being vulnerable, and it is scary to be public. But at the same time, when you're working with someone like you, a filmmaker who you can trust, you feel like you can trust them, then you, you go ahead. Because the whole point is to help other adoptees in the other states who still have closed records. That's the why. So... We thank you. Well, well, I think that one thing that for me, this is just a rule for myself, is I will never put anything in a book or anything in a film that the subject hasn't had a chance to look at and weigh in on. And if there's things they want me not to include, just as you know, you do with your podcast, it is imperative to me because this is, you know, this is your story. Right. And you're the one that has to live with it, not me. You're the one that has the stuff that's out there, you know, not me. And so I think that there's a, 
a compact between us is we look at, you know, a simple piece of paper. What's, what was kind of funny to me was early on when I first interviewed Tracy, I thought, well, Tracy's going to be one of the short stories in the book. She already knew her birth mother didn't want to meet her. She already knew everything she thought she needed to know. And so I was almost like when I was filming her thinking, why am I filming her? And then I kept coming back and, and back because the story kept opening up as it did with all of you into something that was really important for people to see. But perhaps the most courageous person that ended up being in a simple piece of paper is her birth mother, who very courageously, you know, over time, over looking at how the, you know, what clips there would be that would be included, stepped forward because a huge mistake I made early on 30 years ago when I was first beginning to work as a writer and even as a filmmaker and an advocate was I focused all on the adopted people. And obviously I have enormous respect for birth mothers and didn't recognize how important, how crucial they need to be a part of our legislative efforts because they're used as a weapon against all of us, mm-hmm. including us. So anyway, Bev was a, uh, Bev was a big thing for me. And, you know, I think that in being involved with the the books and the films and then advocating with legislation, I, you know, I, I ran a bill in California in 2009 for five months. So people that have done it for 34 years, you know, I, I, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't do it. I don't think I could do it. It is so hard to be out there leading that effort. The best thing about being connected to this community is the people that you meet is people like you, you know, all of us that we, you know, we're sort of this just tapestry that, you know, the friendships that develop over the years with people that understand in many ways are the only people that we can talk to about what we're going through are, are people like, I know I could call you any day and say, I'm having a problem with this. You know, right. What have you faced in this in listening to your podcast? You know, I'm, I'm learning from other people always what they've gone through. And so I, I just uh, feel really blessed and privileged to have had a lifestyle that accommodated the ability to do these films. I was able to, to have the freedom to travel to certain places, sometimes just be in certain places when something was happening. And a lot of people haven't had that kind of freedom or capacity. And I I think that the gifts that we have, like the many gifts that you've been given, my friend, the gifts that we have are things that, you know, we need to be thankful for and we need to share freely and not expect, you know, I don't expect reimbursement for what I'm doing. You know, some filmmakers get really pissed off at me and people that are making a living doing what they're doing have no problem with it. But I look at what I was doing and ultimately I put them all, all the films online for free when New Jersey opened up, just because it's like these films belong to the people that are in them. That was and so generous. I've been reading a couple books lately about the difference between a commodity economy and a gift economy and, you know, how other cultures have a gift economy. And I, I knew if I'm being generous, it's because the universe has been generous to me. So, yeah. That's how I feel, too. I I so agree with that. And your contribution to the community has been just enormous. And that's why I want want people to know who you are, uh, because people are coming to the community every day, like new, brand new, just found out what transracial means and just found out from DNA that these are not their biological parents. Like, 
Mm. By the droves, people are coming into the community. I remember when I was first introduced to other adoptees and other members of the constellation. And, and I was just like, just brand new. Like I was just soaking up the information. And even now there's still so much for me to learn, but I really want, I just really wanted people to hear from you today. And, and there's like, it's so much I want to talk to you about, but I, um, what I'll say now is, is there, or ask you, is there anything I didn't ask you that you want to share with adoptees? I mean, I think that I would, I would counsel any adopted person to document their story if they can. One of the most powerful pieces of film I've ever had was Tracy got her record by mistake and she ended up filming her opening it, talking to me while she was doing it on her computer camera. It's a really crappy, you know, grainy little piece of film, but it's extremely powerful. I remember filming you with your mother's funeral card the only photo you would have of her at the time. Mm-hmm. And it was profoundly moving to witness that. And then the party that you gave. I mean, I just think these things that people choose to do that to me were so unique and so powerful. The image of you surrounded by all your cousins at that party, looking at that piece of paper like it was a newborn infant. I mean, it doesn't get any better. You know, I've kind of stepped away, although I'm still shooting film takes a long time to edit a film it takes like three years and people in Rhode Island have been waiting for me for 10 years to, to do something on theirs so I would encourage people to think about documenting themselves mm. and and then I you know in in also journaling or in some way chronicling their own emotions what I found for myself personally is it's really hard to write things down sometimes when you're going through really powerful emotions Nowadays, we have all these other tools, like we have a voice memo on our phone. It's like, then if you can't write it, then say it. How are you feeling today? You're feeling angry or you're feeling scared or you're going through this emotion or that emotion. Chronicle your stuff because it's important over time to realize how you're growing. I think that if I was going to tell you anything, when I first found my birth mom, as I told you, I found it very hard to incorporate her into my life. And I learned to be patient. I wanted to have a weekend retreat where I could figure all this stuff out, read some book that was going to solve all of it for me. And I would tell anybody, this takes time and it doesn't take months. It takes years. You know, it's like one bubble comes up from the bottom of the pond at a time that you can think about. My birth mother and I, we healed each other in some ways, but I'll tell you, the scar is always there. This three, you know, 33 year gap, like a continental rift, We lived different lives, and each one of her eight children, because she had seven kids after me, had their own special relationship with her, and I count myself lucky to be among my siblings, and that my birth mom, Lee, and I shared moments that were truly remarkable, which gave our lives together great meaning. I would tell anybody who's searching that I will wish upon them, if they get to find, the peace and empowerment that can come from just knowing the truth. But I'm no longer, you know, I'm not naive enough to suggest that finding their first family will fill up all those empty chambers inside. And I'd leave you with a, I think The Wizard of Oz is a film that when I was a kid, it seemed to ask some of the question, uh, questions I was kind of yearning to answer during my childhood and then beyond. I still watch that film and feel like it's teaching me something because we can all wish to kind of click our heels of our shoes together and have those answers that we're seeking. 
But in a way, you know, the journey is what's important. Being carried up into the sky by a storm and landing in unknown territory is what we do when we search and find. And what we seek is often already there inside of us, a brain, a heart, courage. What we find is exterior stuff, but it is the truth. And then it leads us to what we're really needing, the interior stuff, who we are inside. And for that, really, right now, all you have to do is look in the mirror. You know, everyone quotes T.S. Eliot, and I'll quote him again. You know, the end of all of our exploring will be to arrive back where we started and know the place for the first time. And I would suggest to you that that place T.S. Eliot is talking about is our soul. And that's where search, what search and finding gave me, is my soul. Oh, Jane, that was so good. This has well, been so good. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you for creating the time with me today for for others to be able to hear from you. Well, you know, dive in, folks that are out there that are new. (laughs) Dive in. You're going to teach us all something, too, and I can't wait. Jane and I could go on for hours because of her immense contribution to the world at large with her published books and films about the subject of adoption. In a respect and honor of her time, we did cliff notes here on what she deems is most important for adoptees to consider in their journey. She says document what's going on via voice memo or written word during the lifelong process of being a member of the Constellation. My relationship over the years with Jean is priceless. I've learned so much from her ability to organize her thoughts into a book or film for the purpose of adoption reform. Her accomplishments encourage, edify, and uplift me to make contributions to. She is an adoptee who walks the talk, and I can't help but be inspired to do the same. Thank you, Jean, for having a conversation with me when I know your schedule is overflowing with commitments. I like how you make time for adoptees and adoption-related matters. A part of your life's legacy is connected to the many gifts you have bestowed on the adoption community. If one listener today, which I have no doubt, can come to totally understand the huge impact you have made on so many of us throughout this country for decades, then I know your time today was well spent. If you seek to be an ally of the adoption community, I hope you will consider making a donation to keep the show going at patreon.com forward slash adopteeland. Your contribution allows me to present a weekly episode free of advertisement and is greatly appreciated to add a valuable resource to the adoption community.